Hey guys, it's your host, Seth Goldstein, with Juicy Divas, Confessions of a Limo Driver. And I have a very juicy, important announcement. Ever wonder how cool and refreshing it would be to hear your own voice on iTunes? Your podcast made at a touch of a button? If you haven't heard about Anchor, you are totally missing out. It's the most easiest way to make a podcast super practical, and best part of all, it's free. It even has creation tools that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone on the go or computer in the comfort of your own home, guys. What's even better, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money for your podcast with minimum listenership. It's really that easy. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. What are you waiting for? Download your free Anchor app or simply go to anchor.fm to get started. Until next time, thank you. Goodbye. More time to this wonderful actor, RN, and Air Force captain, the one, the only. Give it up for Gary Cuddy, ladies and gentlemen. Gary, how are you, Gary? Hey, thank you, Seth. Uh, it's great to be on. and. Uh, uh, sounds like we're going to have a lot of fun. We really are, buddy. Um, a lot of fun because with all this technology nowadays. <laughs> it's it's supposed to make it easier, isn't it? <laughs> it really supposed to. Yeah. And, and, and you know what I mean? It's just sometimes it's just the opposite. Um, Zoom happens to be the same case uh, uh, at times for me. And so you tend to just go a different uh, format and then you kind of end up getting some, you know, some calls dropped. Go figure. Um, it's not an exact science, but it's great to have you aboard. Now tell me. Yeah, thanks. Um, you're, 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 a, you're an Air Force captain, and, and thank you for serving, by the way. Appreciate I that. appreciate that. I appreciate your support, and everyone out there has been very supportive as well. There isn't a day goes by that I don't get the, uh, the support of the Americans uh, in this great country that I'm so proud to have served for. That, amen to that. And you're also a registered nurse. How does, tell me a little bit about that. Were you, the, the yeah, I haven't exactly, I haven't been bored in my life and I certainly haven't taken the, the lazy way out. Um, I have a service before self attitude in a lot of play, a uh, lot of areas of my life. I finished a registered nursing degree after, um, kind of going on a 10-year education plan. <laughs> I went to night school, like a lot of adults have done, Tuesday and Thursday and an occasional Saturday. I finished one year of regular full-time study in six years. And I thought, wow, this is going way too slow. Maybe by 90, I can have my degree by age 90. So <laughs> I got out of the Air Force. I went into school full-time, took advantage of all their educational benefits, and then I completed right. a nursing degree at the University of Indianapolis in Indianapolis, Indiana. And, nice. Hello um, to everyone out there. Yeah. And then came Very back cool. in. The Air Force came calling again. And uh, actually, they bribed me. They gave me a signing bonus because they needed nurses. And I was bribable, I guess. So I went in in 2000. The 2000 to 2000. And two year was very eventful for me. Um, we invaded Afghanistan shortly after 9-11. And then right. 
I found myself getting orders and flying from Valdosta, Georgia to Ramstein Air Base, Germany. Then we invaded Iraq in 2002 and three. Uh, it turned into this whirlwind of events. Wow. I can only imagine, my man. I mean, you guys going out there, especially during those times. I, I was going to ask you if, if, if that happened to be around 9-11 and stuff. So, yeah, man, it must have been pretty harsh out there for you guys. That's for sure. Tell us a little bit about the ambience out there. What did it feel? What was it like? I mean, if you could, you know, liken it to anything. I don't know that that's even possible, humanly possible. But what would you say? Um, you know, for me, honestly, I was quite content finishing my career in the military in the United States. But I thought, you know what, um, I'm, I'm going to make myself worldwide available. Next thing you know, I got orders to Ramstein, Germany, and things were pretty status quo. I was actively moving medical patients in the aeromedical evacuation world, about 300 patients a month. And it quickly changed to a chaotic 1,500 a month. I got the honor of taking care of eight POWs and getting them back home where they needed to feel the comfort of US of A and their family, including Jessica Lynch. And um, oh, wow. so I've been blessed to be able to just use my talents in many, many ways. And growing up, uh, I look back to my mother who always said, Gary, use the brains that God gave you. And she wasn't kidding. I, I took full advantage of that comment. And uh, <laughs> That's, uh, that's kind of way my Air Force career went. When did the theater come calling, or how did that, you know, uh, land right. in your lap, so to speak, or you run um, into it? Or you No, know, quite honestly, like all entertainers and people who are gifted, uh, I think I've always had it inside me to entertain and to be a performer, and, and whether it's the performing art, arts or athletics, when I was eight years old, my mother, all my family's Canadian. We grew up in London, Ontario, Canada. And um, she, all right. she entertained the idea uh, only because I wouldn't shut up if she didn't take me to Toronto, Canada when I was begging her to audition. So uh, one right. summer, there was a TV show in 77 and it was called the whiz kids broadcast 30 minute episode every saturday morning and it was kind of like this quiz show like jeopardy they would ask i was in a team of three kids and there's another team of three kids in the sixth grade sixth seventh grade and they would ask us science nature and math questions and we would try to outdo the other team guess the question right and then raise money for charity so i had a taste of in studio television production and um it kind of stuck with me unfortunately i was what's being, up with you what's what's with the canadians and, and 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 the arts boy there's so much talent that comes from canada i gotta tell you yeah um you know i've i really think you know it's it's probably true we're a strange bunch uh but we know that it's important uh, to have a laugh to maybe sing a song, it really is. just like uh, Carol Burnett said back in the day. Have a laugh, sing a song, yeah. you know? That's that's about right. Now, you, um, this this is good stuff. I mean, we're getting somewhere with this in that this is like 
all you know you're you're young so you get the you get the bug i want to get into acting at some point in my life which is usually the case with so many people and then you got the military background there's a lot of actors and art artists that that were also servicemen that served our country and you know that specifically in the olden days the real um, the real life story is how your parents are not unlike the parents of today the young 20 year olds the young teenagers and and 30 year olds that have children and that's they're on the grind for the yeah. kid and my mother was a single mom um and she was trying to make it happen and make it happen for me and uh and she didn't have the money to make a portfolio to have all these photographers take photos and put together this miraculous you know i love me book I am the greatest type thing. So I put it right. on the wayside and my performance became in athletics. Um, my next oldest brother was extremely talented. He's eight years older. Uh, Tom Cudney played for the Kansas City Chiefs in the NFL. He was he was a fast wow. white guy. They called him White Lightning on the team. He played for Marv Levy in the yeah. Kansas City Chiefs in six years in the Canadian Football League with Doug Flutie. He played with a lot of big names. But um, like me, yeah. he's only a household name in his own household. <laughs> but um, but you know, that's that's fantastic because you know, like you're around it, so you have been around the industry to a to a point. You know, you've been around it for sure with, with your brother, people. Yeah. So and and then so this so you develop this interesting. At what point do you really decide to pursue this career in acting? So I get out of the Air Force and um, my travels as a travel nurse, once I got out of active duty military, took me to uh, Arizona, to Albuquerque and Fort Defiance in the Navajo Nation. They were filming Breaking Bad back then in 2011. I, I okay. got the wild thought that, you know what, I need to look into this because it will eat me up if i go six feet under the earth and say anything? i've never ever attempted to fulfill my um pursuit of acting <laughs> film and television i will not yeah. rest and i'll i'll be one of these people walking around saying i was better than that guy but i never ever really got up and showed people that i was better and good and talented and that's really just some kind of a it's not necessarily a narcissistic approach i think it's an inner drive no. to be able to tell stories and after my career had finished i thought man i've got some great events in life that i can fulfill um maybe getting back on paper um if not writing but being an actor and showing what it was like from an emotional standpoint to be a part of a series of events in life that trigger emotion. And along the way, I found comedy. Uh, stranger things have happened, I'm sure. So I did a one-year internship at the comedy store last year, pre-COVID. I met some lifelong friends who decided when I said, I don't know if I'm supposed to be in Los Angeles. All I've got is one national television commercial. I've been in Ballers as an extra on three episodes with Denzel Washington's son, J.D. Washington, and Dwayne Johnson. I've oh. been in Bloodline on Netflix in the Keys we filmed. And so I thought with this little resume, how am I going to 
fit in. And in Los Angeles, I'm just like this pawn in the game of life. And so these guys were at the comedy store were fantastic. Lou Deck, Argus Hamilton, and all the mm-hmm. staff at the Mitzi's Comedy Store at Sunset, they took me under their wing and they said, you're right where you need to be. And your your talent alone right. is waiting to step through the door. You just have to be willing to do it when the door opens. A lot of people have talent, but they're That's not right. willing well, to step through the door. So, um, Well, the thing is, it's very frightening, right? It's frightening. I mean, it's the worst thing is to sure. die on stage, man. I think it was comedians <laughs> thinking of, I think it was Jim Carrey who said, fear is going to play a big part in your life. You just have to decide how much. Wow. Lovely, well said by a uh, legend, comedian legend, no, no less. Um, so what was what was that like? I mean, you, you got to meet Polly, you know, Paul. I did my first and, uh, I did my first you... tight five, as they say in the biz. I did a stand-up at the improv on a Sunday in December of 2019. And I didn't know at the time, I thought it was gonna be some small time thing on a Sunday. Turned out it was sold out. And next thing you know, I just had to let it all go, trust my material, and I killed. And I've felt great. And all the comedians that are veterans have said, you're either going to do fantastic your first time out, or you're going to bomb. And I was a lucky one that was blessed by God that I put my great joke up front, and I put my very best joke at the end. And... Um, yeah, I literally couldn't even see past the, pros, the second row. Uh, the lights were in my now, face. <laughs> now, did, did, did it get to the point where you're like waiting for the red flash or whatever? To, right. To, the, to, 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 hey, you got one minute to get off the stage. You know, in a, in a way, <laughs> I was so prepared and I, I just timed my delivery. I did what they told me to do. Uh, you know, when I've been in the flying industry through the air force, you kind of follow what people say and you do it in detail and you listen to precisely how they teach you how to do things and you just rinse and repeat. Now I did it with my own style and my own flavor. I'm a clean comedian. So, um, do you find that you get more work that way as a clean comedian? I think I can get, I don't know if I can get more work. I think it's just a preference. Okay. It's, it's, it's just a preference. Okay. So I was told, um, you know, I did dabble during, in comedy. And and when I was over at um, the Ice House, I was told by some folks there that, you know, if you're a clean comedian, you tend to get more work because for obvious reasons, you know, like if you have some kind of a gig, a birthday sure. party and there's children sure. around, that sort of thing. I guess that's you what could open, like you could you say it opens now. you up to more ticket sales in that. Let's put it this way. If you're not funny, you're not going to sell anything. If all you tell is dick jokes, then maybe you're going to get a certain clientele that come out that are over the age of 21, over the age of 18. Uh, whereas you might get age 16, you maybe even teenagers and young middle adolescents come out with their parents. But if you're funny, you're funny. And it's not a knock. It's so just there's a rap- I use indie innuendo. I cuss when I'm at home. I've said, you know, 
dick. Yeah. I don't do Holy dick. Shit. I say and shit. Like I've stubbed my toe on the coffee table before, and that hurts like a son of a bitch. Sure. So, but <laughs> if you say dick, I, I mean, I innuendo in my uh, one of my bits is, um, oh, don't get it wrong. My girlfriend's not with me because. I'm I'm a white guy and she's black and, and she's not with me because I can dance. She's with me because I'm hung like a baby, 21 <laughs> inches and eight pounds. So, you know, it. It, it, that's uh, an innuendo. I, I, and at and no point in time that I yeah. used the F-bomb and I didn't, you know, I didn't go on the edge. Right. Um, you know, there's a time and a place for it, I think. Now let's talk about you know since we're on this topic already let's let's discuss really quickly let's touch up on why is it that it's very would you say it's it's fair to say in today's society anyway specifically now nowadays people are not really like they're inclined to say stuff they're not supposed to but now there's like a fine line you can't cross yes when it comes to certain jokes like it used to be that. You could say just about anything before because it was comedy. You you can. After all. I think the the key is whether you point it at someone, and when you say, you can't tell them how they are. You can't. I mean, you have to you have to sort of be tactful. And if you're pointing the finger at people and you're just saying you are this, and it's not. Yeah. in context of a relationship then you're not going mm -hmm. to get a laugh you're going to get apprehension when you turn it like a builder, <laughs> he strategically turns it into a context a context of relationship so it's not that he's insensitive right. it's that he relates to the flip side of the coin and so yes it's kind of yeah. like having one foot on both sides of the fence but let's face it, there's an entertainment value mm -hmm. there in the comedic world. And I don't think intently people are apt to target a certain race or a certain gender or a certain sexual preference. They're just right. And, and you know, maybe like anyone, a person might get nervous on stage and they might not understand what they've said until after they have a chance to look at the situation and then maybe they've misspoke but i think if you've rehearsed and you've done due diligence in your preparation i think lack of preparation like anything opens the door for failure right. and whether i'm an actor or a comedian i have to prepare properly um yeah because stuff is just made to look off the cuff but it's never off the cuff it's just hours of preparation sure. uh, yes? yes no question about it that's great. And so that is very true. This next thing in preparation, you know, it's what you want to do so you don't fall flat on, <laughs> on your face in every, I mean, in every area. Like if you don't have, if you're not prepared, then when the door is right. swung open, it, you know, it's like you're not going right. to lead yourself. You know, in I think I, I'm not a big fan of rap, but when I look at Eminem and some of his songs, you know, he has a song that says, sometimes you get one shot at opportunity, don't let it go. You have to channel your energy when you're in the entertainment world in the right direction. 
And if you're not feeding off of that and you're not remembering the very basics of why you're supposed to be doing what you're doing, then you can quickly lose perspective. If I'm talking to somebody. Right, because you're just talking. You're pretty much. You know, moving aimlessly, and it's not sure. A good if thing, you're a you boat know? being tossed around by a wave without an anchor, you mm-hmm. you know, in the entertainment industry, you're not going to get very far. And then you're going to be filled with certain thoughts that you're not good enough. And then you're going to, you know, crawl into that abyss of alcoholism and addiction. And it, it can quickly turn. It can mm-hmm. quickly turn into a downhill spiral. So, um, you know, I tell people know the why. One of the things I was lucky enough to hear from a motivational speaker was always knowing what the why is so important. And his analogy was, if I see somebody who says in the crowd in his engaging with his crowd at his at his uh, consultant uh, seminars is he'll ask someone to stand up. And one person said, he said, what do you do for a living? He said, oh, I'm a professor of music. And he said, oh, yeah. Can you sing? He said, yes. So he sang Amazing Grace. And then he said, okay, this is what I'm going to give you since you paid money to get in here. Something you can take with you, something of importance. Now, I want you, do you have a brother? He said, yeah. He said, I want you to think that your brother had a baby born this morning, but he got arrested last night for a DUI and missed the birth of his child. Now, I want you to sing Amazing Grace again. And the man sang it a second time. And this time he sang it with a different kind of emotion and passion. That thought, those pictures and ideas, rather than just being a teacher who's a professor, which is a very bland, mediocre way of living life. Mm -hmm. He taught this man that if you know the why, then you can get through life at a higher level of self-satisfaction and knowing that you're going to be okay, even if you don't get what you want. That's that's so true, because, I mean, you know, like, if you have, you're basically, it goes, comes back to what motivates you, what triggers you to, um, you know, what uh, to feel a certain way in order to better, um, you know, propel yourself Correct. forward for whatever it is. So if you don't have anything that, that, uh, you know, that propels you in, in one direction, you're going to fall backward because realistically nothing motivates you. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's very important to, to know the why. The why, it's hugely important. You have to know, you have to have a vision, right? Where the vision, where there's no vision, the people perish. Sure. Biblical. Uh, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So, and, and so let's back up a little, your formative years. So you, you said you, you spent a lot of time, I was with your brother, is your brother, your older brother was like more, was he like yeah, a father figure? Ontario, what was the Canada. Like with your father? My childhood and my senior year in high school consisted of going to high school just like everybody else and getting roll call. They go through the letter A, they go to the letter B, they get to C, and they say, Gary Cudney. Now, my brother was playing with Kansas City Chiefs at that time, only three Canadians playing in the NFL. <clears throat> and that inevitably, through every mm-hmm. class, the teachers would say, oh, Gary Cudney, are you related to that football player guy? <laughs> so I lived in his <laughs> shadows, which was somewhat frustrating. There's, there's no animosity here. He he helped raise me. Absolutely. He helped formulate my ideas. Yeah. He helped me to be good at sports. My mother had four boys, which helped us 
to learn how to hit, play basketball, baseball, football, and bake cakes and make beds. Right. That's fantastic, man. That's great. And that molded you, no doubt, into why, you know, your why is so strong. You're able to to be in the military and everything and and serve this awesome country, right? Somewhere along the line, I wasn't very good at school. When I first went in the military, they taught me how to be a medic. So when I got out of school, I wanted to still play some football, and I was healthy and injury-free. So I played Division II football at University of Indianapolis. I also played some semi-pro ball, had a cup of coffee following behind my brother. Even at age 38, I got a look by all 32 NFL teams. So what happened there was I just kept physically fit to stay in the military. Um, You know, you get older, you put on a few pounds, you look at a donut, you just gain 14 pounds. So... um, (laughs) Yeah, basically, right after 18, right, yeah. as soon as you graduate. But my brothers, they, they all were just like, uh, you know, they're model brothers. They didn't get into a lot of trouble, and they were constantly keeping me abreast of, you know, doing the right thing, being a model citizen, carrying yourself right, and if not, they'd stick their boot up my ass if I needed it. But no, they never had to do that. They never had to right. do that, any of that. Okay. And uh, what what uh, what kind of training did you get? Formal, formal training for well, the, the craft or did you develop it by reading um, books? You're, you're talking the entertainment industry? The so acting, you're acting I right. right submitted you, a profile yeah. on a whim when I started going to workshops in New Mexico. An agent had the profile and I had forgot I had even submitted it. It was a casting director actually. So all of a sudden I get a phone call in 2015 and it's an agent and I hadn't told my brothers I was acting because I was kind of embarrassed. I thought they'd make fun of it or something. And that's the early stage we all go through as actors. And it was a company that said, uh, hey, we got your profile. There's pre-production. It was called Jack Reacher 2. We'd like you to be on set with Jack Reacher 2 tomorrow. Can you make it? I said, well, of course I can. And I knew Jack Reacher was Tom Cruise, <laughs> but I really never saw the movie. Yeah. And so my my brother heard me talk. Yeah. They said, you'll get the email at 4.30. So I hung up. My brother said, what the hell was that all about? And I said, well, I'm supposed to be on set tomorrow with Jack Reacher 2. He goes, Jack Reacher 2? How'd you get into that? I said, well, I've been acting for the past four yeah. years, but I didn't want to tell you or the other brothers because I thought you'd make fun of me. He said, well... If you want to see the movie, I've got it at home. You know who that's with, right? I said, yeah, Tom Cruise. 4.30 comes, Seth. I don't get the email. I'm in a panic. I hit redial on my phone, and I get voicemail. Sure enough, I said, I don't think you have my email right. And I gave him my email again. I hang up, and my phone rang right away. It's a lady who owns the company. Uh And she goes, I'm with Marinella Hume. Gary, don't panic. We have your email but we're extremely busy here right now. And it looks like we're not going to get you your call time until 10 PM tonight. So I said, okay. She goes, wait a minute. As a matter of fact, we're filling a rush call for 200 actors. And I thought, Oh no, please don't say this. You're going to move me to some other production. And here's my chance to meet Tom Cruise. All I need is my foot in the door. I'm going to do the rest. I'm going to be likable and I'm going to do a good job. And so she says, 
can you be on set tomorrow? Are you close to Miami? I said, sure, I'll do it. Cause I needed her and I was just going to do what I always do, which is a great job. She said to me, it's yeah. with an HBO series. It's the number one comedy called ballers. And I thought, Oh my, yeah, I can do that. I just went from Tom Cruise to the number one moneymaker in film in 2015, Dwayne Johnson. So I literally didn't get Tom Cruise. And next thing you know, I'm on three episodes with a great number of great actors, Andy Garcia, Richard Schiff. Yeah. You know, remember the movie Fridays with Ice? Uh, yeah. Well, Rob, sure. yeah. Troy Garrity yeah, is Jane Fonda's son. I met Troy. He was in my first episode I've ever been on television. He is a cool cat. Wow. So I, you know, God, I made my plans and God directed my feet that day. And then I said, if I'm going to do this to answer your question, my training, I went to New York Film Academy. I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to learn how to perfect the craft, not insult it. Because a lot of people... I know now are getting paid a lot of money and they can't act and they don't even know what a 50 50 is. They don't know what a master shot is. They barely know what over the shoulder means. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know these terms and techniques, you won't be good on set because my job is to work as a team, as an actor and to make the other actor in my scene look good and be a listener. So much of acting is more listening than talking. And then I just play 10. Yeah, because it's tennis. not in my scene. Tennis. Yeah. Good job. So, so what you're saying is a lot, yeah, because a lot of actors, what they do is they're just waiting for their mark, their cue, that word, and then for them to be able to spill That's out right. their lines. It's so, some people don't listen to what's being said to them. So It'll they look awkward. Them. The scene will look um, awkward. Oh, yeah. It might get, it might get, uh, you know, wrapped and out there for infamy in and into the world of immortality because once it's on film and it's out there there's no getting back from it (laughs) and sometimes that can be comical so you have to be able to laugh at yourself yeah you do absolutely if you're not laughing at you right away right away comedy story right you have to know how to self-deprecating is, is is a way a lot of people make their entrances. If, if my first, you know, um, inevitably everybody it. does it. Like if I'm supposed to say to be or not to be, and I've practiced it a million times yeah. and they say quiet on the set, roll them uh, to be or not to bumble. Oh God. You know, <laughs> it's there. It's out there. And I think we're all professional. Yeah. It's great. It's a human element, right? The human element yeah i mean if you can't then you're just not living and part of this whole thing of acting if i'm not mistaken it's having a good time not taking it too serious my camera is my friend when uh, i'm on set it's not there mm -hmm. there's nothing else exists i got 15 people behind me i got three more in front of me and all i got is the person across from me and nothing else exists except what i'm doing with that person and they say their line. Hopefully I've done my preparation and I've been a professional. And then I give the obstacles and objectives of the scene what it's supposed to get from me as an actor. 
and, and that's just to let it go. That's fantastic. If you guys are just joining us, we have Gary Kitney with me today. The guy is amazing. He's had a colorful life, a lot of uh, wonderful ideas that this man possesses. He is amazing. And uh, you're listening to Juicy Divas, Confessions of a Limo Driver. Yours truly, Seth Goldstein. Um, we're going to continue this conversation for the next 10 minutes. Um, we're almost out of time, buddy. I mean, I know it just seemed like we just started. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you, when you prepared uh, for a scene, do you prepare? Because you seem like the guy that has the discipline. I mean, if you were in the military, you have to have, have had some discipline. I think you this like is where I get cast a, a lot. Um, because as an athlete, as a, a captain, you have to prepare. And they know when somebody sends you out there, they're going on their word of mouth. They know that I'm going to be prepared. Right. So how do you prepare for a scene? How, what do you, what exactly, how, what do you do when you're posed with the, with the whole deal? Here's, here's the character. Um, and this is what you're going to do. And if you decide to take that, uh, the, what, how the do you prepare for The first thing I that? do when I looked at the script is I kind of see what word choices are there. I mean, if there's certain words of emotion and there's a certain, I kind of see what, what, and then after I've read it, I want to know what happened just before that scene so that I get some realism and uh, then I need to know. I put my right. I put my spin on it, right? and and that's just an intuition. And that intuition fantastic. involves um, like, what you know. Being in the medical profession, I know what life events happen. Uh, I know when people get divorced that it's filled with things like laughter, fun, uh, crying, uh, betrayal and um lack of loyalty and then there's a death or something so i try to take those events and in a short period of time find out what part of that character is not willing to lose what is it within that because all that dictates who they are but it doesn't dictate how they're going to realistically handle whatever situation that scene is calling for because we do all handle things differently you sort of personalize it. And, and hopefully if the casting directors have done their job of, and the producers and the director, then they pick the right guy that knows they know that that guy can deliver the goods. It's fantastic. So that's how you flesh out. I'd like to say, huh? you know, they know what Great. from behind this camera, they know what roles that I'm good for. And then I like to kind of go search out some roles. Like I'm not always a middle-aged father. I like, being a cop i like being someone of discipline i have a scowl on my forehead sometimes i have a very serious demeanor uh on camera and that's not how i am in person but that's yeah. a guy that could be a wife beater it could be a criminal it could be a convict and it could be a detective uh you never and so i i you know i think i'm branded in some of those areas i'd like to take a lead role in a feature film. That's, that's my hope. I'm not represented right now. I'd like, you know, I'm, I'm a bachelor. I have no commercial representation. I'm free fallen. I'd like to get an agent in LA. Yeah. Basically, I would like a theatrical agent. I'm free. I'm not signed by anybody. And you can reach me at Gary Cudney now 
at gmail.com. Very simply, my first name, last name, N-O-W, at gmail.com. And I'm seeking theatrical representation. All my representation was in Florida, and I'm no longer under contract because I'm in Los Angeles. Right. What's your um? You, so your IMDb just basically you can uh, uh, my life's up, uh, my Gary life's Cudney an open book. You Google Gary Cudney, G A R Y C U D N E Y. You'll probably get Twenty One Days to Baghdad. That was a documentary by, um, I think it was, um, National Geographic's documentary. I was featured in there because I moved Jessica Lynch, the yeah. POW. I was her primary care nurse that flew i flew her that's right took care of her family and making sure they were comfortable from ramstein germany to walter reed army medical center in april of 2003 um so that's fantastic man bless your heart for that wow yeah that is that is great what a, i mean you know what that's humanitarian right there i mean you're just being always in the right place when having a you, you have the right um, heart also, you know, being a nurse and tip my hat off to you, my man. And uh, nothing but the best to you. Now you are going to come in for a, for a, a oh, video I'd love to. Uh, component. I'd love to. Yeah. Part, right, um, at some point. I'd, I'd love to. Okay. And it, um, I'll come in studio if you, whatever. We'll, we'll video, we'll film it. Yeah. We want to touch up a bit. We want to, we can, about we war. can talk yeah. about whatever topics you want. Yeah, it doesn't have to be me. acting in film, but uh, yeah. Cause you have a platform. I've done, I've done a few things. <laughs> I know we were probably no going to set out to talk yeah. about my, yeah. my acting world. I'm in a dark comedy from the 48 hour film festival, but we probably <laughs> can save that for another time. Yeah. Tell, tell, yeah, well, we could talk about let's let's okay. So I'll tell you what, let's talk a little bit about it, and then when we see each other face right to on. face, we'll discuss about it more in detail. Okay. Okay. So tell tell the viewer, the listener, at this point, uh, this oh, forty-eight hour. This um, is a part. That, this tell is me. why I love production. When you can take total strangers and you can put them under the gun, that's what the forty-eight hour film festival is about. I know a lot of you have <laughs> probably heard about. 48 film festival out there, but really this is the nuts and bolts of it at about between 6 PM and 1 AM on a Friday, a group of people who are writers and storytellers and directors get together at, at and it's at any city USA 48 hour film festival. You draw names out of a hat and you're a team. And what you get is three pieces of the puzzle. When you draw a name, you get the genre, whether that's comedy you know, uh, family oriented horror film, whatever you get the genre, but you have to include three things in your production, a specific line. It might be, I love popcorn, a specific prop, which might be a corkscrew and a specific character. Um, so that those three things will be in your script. Now it's on your market set. Go. You start writing a script that's usually finished by dark 1 a.m. I flew into New Orleans from L.A. to director Sheridan Philippe. And I got there at 11 p.m. into New Orleans. I was at the place where I was staying at 1 a.m. I got my script at 1.30 in the morning. I learned my character at 3 a.m. I slept until 6 a.m., got on set at 7 a.m., 
had to tidy things up while everyone's setting up and in a, you know, a chaotic rush on set. We film all day till five thirty, six o'clock that night. It goes to the editing room and by 5 PM Sunday, you must have your film completely edited and you must have it turned in say by 5 PM, whatever that deadline is. And that's it. You got seven minutes of film. Wow. Nothing more. And you, it is what it is. You better be on top of your game. (laughs) And there's like, you know, could be 30 teams um, in the competition or there could be a hundred, but you're on your game. And believe me, it, it weeds out the people who know lighting, who know sound, who know acting, all those pieces and parts. And hopefully you get something together like I did in a dark comedy called A Painted Scandal. It turned out pretty good. I, I ad lib, yeah. and uh, if you watch A Painted Scandal, it's only seven minutes of your life. You'll see, I'm not going to steal the storyline, but there's a corkscrew in there somewhere. You'll have to watch it to find it. It was the mandatory prop. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I I saw I saw it. I got to tell you, I really enjoyed it. I got sucked in. I wish there would have been more to it, but again, it's, it's a seven minute deal, and I, I wish it had been at yep. least a half hour. <laughs> but you get you get it's for for people with a short attention span. By the way, out there, I it's agree. perfect. I <laughs> it's agree. Great. Or a small bladder. Everything. If you got to run to the bathroom, um, well, of course it, you can always. Nowadays, yeah. we have DVR and these kind of things, but yeah. My man, I am beyond grateful for having the, you on the show. Uh, Jim Francis, uh, the producer, is here, and he wants to just say hi. Um, and, um, you know, and, and thank you for, again for serving our country and for and Jessica Lynch. Wow. We want to talk more about that in the second part. Uh, once again, uh, Gary Cudney, ladies and gentlemen, look him up. He is amazing. I'm sure right on. Hi, Jim. Nice to meet you yeah. as well. And I will keep you posted. And, uh, you know, hopefully if I get a winning team around me, I can put out a really good product, both as a comedian and as an actor, and uh, do what I love to do, which is make people happy, uh, make people enjoy their, uh, get a little bit of money for their, get a little bit of entertainment for their entertainment dollar, let's say. And also, too, the world needs a lot of entertainment, specifically now. The world has changed, as you know. A lot of animosity out there, a lot of anger, a lot of hatred. Um, but we definitely need more comedy. We definitely need more entertainers. Gary Cudney, it's been a real pleasure, my man. And uh, we'll We will stay, stay in touch. We'll stay and in touch. Uh, to be continued, and Take let's care. film something. All right, sir. Part two. Yeah, do something. We're definitely going to work on something together. I want to get back to the comedy world, and you and I will talk. Um, once again, uh, give everyone. I am on Instagram, on and Instagram, it falls the under way? the same as my email, Gary Cudney now N O W, at Instagram. I've got a couple of videos. I just have started my social media platform, um, not because I haven't had it. I I just went through an overhaul and a, a basically a demolition and uh, a redo. And so a lot of things are going to start popping up that are a lot better quality and a lot better to look at. 
and uh, I got rid of older stuff that really doesn't apply anymore. There's a couple of uh, films. I think I have my stand-up routine from the improv. It's on YouTube. Gary Cudney improv session on YouTube. You can see what we call a tight five. I do a great comedy routine and I killed and it's five minutes on YouTube. Yes, you'll be the judge of that. that. (laughs) Most definitely. I want to thank you once again and thanks all our listeners uh, for tuning in to um, another wonderful episode of Juicy Diva Confessions of a Limo Driver. Yours truly, Seth Goldstein, and our producer, Jim Francis, like to thank you. You can find us at Juicy Diva's uh, confessions of a limo driver.com now we have our, our our own website and you can find us on most platforms google uh iHeartRadio, and such well otherwise it's been great once again thank you until next time all right bye bye hello guys it's seth goldstein and jim francis welcome to another episode of juicy divas confessions of a limo driver please help me Welcome back. Hello, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Juicy Divas Confessions of a Limo Driver. Please help me. Welcome. Hello, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Juicy Divas Confessions of a Limo Driver. Please help me. Welcome.